0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to The Rundown here on WNYU 89.1 FM New York and online everywhere at WNYU.org. I'm your host, Grace Wanabo. We've got a great show for you guys tonight. Wuna Khalidi covers how Muslims around the world are observing Ramadan. Next, Arya Young talks to the director of the off-Broadway production of Amelie and Javon Thomas takes us back to Brooklyn Fashion Week. And lastly, I cover the NYU adjunct rally. For our first story, right now Muslims around the world are observing Ramadan, a holy month of fasting, prayer, community, and gratitude. Many Muslim students on campus are observing the month while balancing their schoolwork, midterms, extracurriculars, and being away from home. Muna Khalidi talks to two Muslim students at NYU to break down what is Ramadan, as well as their experiences observing the sacred month on campus. For the Rundown
1: on 89.1 FM, this is Muna Khalidi. Every year, Muslims around the world observe the holy month of Ramadan. Muslims believe that Ramadan marks the month when God revealed the first verses of the Holy Quran to the Prophet Muhammad. During this 30-day period, Muslims pray and study the Qur'an, engage in increased charity, practice righteous and moral behavior, and fast from sunrise to sunset, meaning they abstain from food and drink. The fast starts with a pre-dawn meal, known as suhoor, and ends with a communal evening meal, known as iftar. Because Islam follows the lunar calendar, Ramadan moves back approximately 11 days every year. This year, it so happens to fall right now, starting the beginning of April with the first crescent moon sighting and ending in the beginning of May. There are more than 2 billion Muslims around the world, yet Ramadan continues to raise questions for people who might not understand what it is and how it's observed. Balancing schoolwork, jobs, and extracurriculars, many of our NYU students are observing the month on campus. Today, we have Kana Tatarek and Nadia Othman, both sophomores at NYU, who are here to talk about their experiences with Ramadan on campus, as well as what students should know about this holy month.
2: I wake up at four to prepare my food. Um, and you're supposed to have a very um, big meal because you obviously you can't eat the entire day um, and drink lots of water, obviously, and nutritious, have some good nutritious food. Um, and then I pray and go back to sleep. And then uh, basically the rest of my routine, it doesn't really differ, it, minus like you take meals out of the equation and then you break your fast at sunset. Which is around seven thirty these days. In the minutes leading up to sundown, like we're all
3: seated at the table just, you know, staring at our food, not a word is said, tensions are high. <laughs> um, and then, you know, once we hear a din, like we're like downing that water and those dates. Some Muslims on campus are close to home and can celebrate
1: the month with family, while others can't help but feel isolated sometimes. Despite this, students still find ways to find community on campus during this special month.
3: When it's time to break fast, I go to the NYU Islamic Center, uh, which is part of G Castle. Yeah, they hold prayers and they provide iftar, um, which is really nice. They they actually provide free iftar to like people in NYU and outside of NYU, um, which is something I'm super grateful for. It's definitely different um, because since it's like more of a community setting as opposed to a family setting, I've met people who like just moved here for work and they don't know anyone and they're going there because they also just want to be surrounded by other people who are going through the same thing. It's just been nice to go there and like meet other people who are doing the same
2: thing. I have a few non-Muslim friends, like my roommate, for example, who has her dinner with me um, just so it's like she's also joining me in this thing that I spent the whole day doing. And it's nice uh, just to have someone who like wants to learn and wants to, you know, support me. There's a lot of things that people don't know about Ramadan, but there are a few common
1: misconceptions that many Muslims get during this month.
3: When people actually think that we fast for 30 days straight, like don't we don't eat or drink for 30 days straight. And I'm not a biologist, but I don't think that's possible. And even if it were, that would be that would be torturous. So, no, we do not do that. And speaking of torturous, fasting is not supposed to be torturous, period. Sometimes when you explain Ramadan to other people, they kind of have this like, you know, sense of pity. We're not doing something that we don't want to do. In fact, it's supposed to be a pretty fulfilling experience, and I know for me it definitely is. You know, it can be challenging, and, like, I think that's a good thing. Ramadan is a time for spiritual growth, a chance to strengthen your relationship with your faith.
1: It's also about community and empathizing with those who are less fortunate.
2: To me, Ramadan presents an opportunity for a spiritual cleanse, Um, and I think that it can trickle into other facets of your life as well you really learn to appreciate what you have um, and learn how to like maintain discipline in your life as well as muslims we are often encouraged to practice moderation in everything we do and this is a great opportunity to like enforce that um, discipline that um, is so sought after. For the
1: rundown
0: on 89.1 FM, this has been Muna Khalidi. Earlier this month, Tish New Theater put on the student musical production Amelie at Theater Row. Arya Young talked to the director and the lead actors of the show. Here's the story.
3: Oh.
4: This is Amelie, an NYU musical production by Tishnu Theatre that took place this month. Amelie is a musical adaptation of the original 2001 French-language film about an innocent Parisian girl who delicately orchestrates the lives of the people around her. The musical Amelie premiered on Broadway in 2015, starring Tony-nominated actress Philippa Su. From April 7th to 10th, Tishnu Theatre brought the story of Amelie to life in front of an NYU audience. Director Zoe Lillis is a senior in Gallatin and the Vice President and Artistic Director of Tishnu Theater, the biggest student-run theater organization at NYU. Zoe's directing process started with this question. Why now? She said the answer came to her naturally when she decided on the musical Amelie because of the kindness, community, and the imagination in the story.
5: I was really thinking about, you know, we live in this world that right now is kind of lacking a bit of kindness um, or even it's just it's really isolated people can't talk to each other they can't see each other I really was reminded about how this show is all about you know unconditional acts of kindness for really no reason and just being nice to people and it's kind of as simple as that and this cast got rea- and crew and creative team and everyone we got really good at just kind of holding each other up throughout all of that I like to think and I've been told that in the final show you could really see and feel that <laughs>
4: Follows the journey of title character Amelie, a shy waitress at a cafe in Paris. Amelie grew up sheltered from the real world and now finds her life filled with anxiety, loneliness, and lost love. Steinhardt sophomore Senzo Amadi plays Amelie. She says that although she found it challenging to connect with her character at first, director Zoe Lillis was able to help. We sat down and we had hours upon hours of just table work on, like, dissecting the script and finding out what were all the nuances that pushed Amelie to do all of these little things that she does in the show. If you're familiar with the show, Amelie is obsessed with doing acts of kindness for other people. And so, um, like, one by one, like, after going through all the scenes, we just found that Amelie is somebody who loves doing things for others And wearing her heart on her sleeve. But when it comes to opening up her own heart to others, um, she has trouble doing that until she meets Nino. I feel like I connect to Amelie in ways that I definitely wear my heart on my sleeve. And yeah, Amelie's core is just, it's so pure and it's so genuine. And um, she's a character I had so much fun playing. I remember telling Zoe on closing night that I wasn't done playing her yet and finding out all these little things about her because there's just so much to her. In the story, Amelie encounters Nino, a young man who collects discarded photos from photo booths. Tish senior Nick Salem plays Nino. Nick describes Nino as focused, a character trait that he relates to as well.
6: Nino's someone who, who hyper-fixates on things. I, I think the way, I was going to say imaginative, but I also think it's just the way that he finds connection in his life generally. Um, throughout the show, Nino's thing is that um, he goes to, photo booths that are inside subway stations and finds torn up photos and collects them. He looks at these little moments that are captured um, and creates whole stories and worlds and backgrounds for all these people he's never met. And I think that his imagination, the way that he creates stories um, without ever really being in one, is uh, something that's incredibly integral to him like for me I, I found that like I really resonated with Nino in his focus like when there's a project that's kind of everything I don't know he's also a weirdo he's definitely <laughs> a weirdo um, full weirdo hands and knees on the subway station I've yeah. never seen that even in New York really so grimy. <laughs> Yeah really grimy the shadows that trip up the trees now I'm wearing a blindfold my shoes
4: Although the show has ended, Zoe hopes that the message of Amelie will live on.
5: I talked about in uh, my director's note, like, there's a really, really beautiful lyric that's falling feels like flying. Um, And I think that's something we all held on to through this process. It's like, yeah, it kind of feels like we're falling a lot in this world. But, like, when you have the right people around you, I think I put it as, like, someone to take your hand, um you know it, it, you get to say like instead of oh shoot I'm falling you get to say wait I can fly
7: now my heart has
4: been half asleep all of my life it wakes up when you come around for the rundown on WNYU 89.1 FM I'm Aria
0: Young Fashion Week Brooklyn took place earlier this month. Javon Thomas interviewed Keisha Kelly, the designer and founder of Hip Hop Closet, and Brooklyn Fashion Week attendee. Here's the story.
7: Whether you're from New York or not, you've probably heard of New York Fashion Week. But have you heard of Fashion Week Brooklyn? Fashion Week Brooklyn is a biannual international collection show founded by the 501c3 nonprofit BK Style Foundation. FWBK has emerged as one of the leading fashion events showcasing the talent of aspiring and established designers from across the globe. Each season, FWBK supports charitable organizations including Denim Day NYC to raise awareness on sexual assault, sexual violence art in motion, along with several other non-profit organizations. KSSNs a voice to social issues including human rights, hiv aids awareness, sustainability initiatives, poverty, community development, and leadership training. Earlier this month of April, I had the opportunity to... Attend the Fashion Week Brooklyn show and interview Kaisha Kelly, the designer and founder of Hip Hop Closet. Hi, so to kick things off, what did being in Fashion Week Brooklyn mean to you?
8: It was amazing, honestly, because Brooklyn is where I'm born and raised. I grew up in Fort Greene. I really just wanted to bring that Brooklyn street vibe of, you know, uniqueness and grit to the um to the runway. But at the same time, a softness and just a a happy feeling. And I always tell people, you know, I'm not selling clothes here. I'm selling energy. This was the first runway show that um, I worked with my daughter on. She's um, a budding fashion designer. Helped me with a lot of the collaborations and we, we worked together on that. So it felt really good to have that opportunity to share and to bring it right here in brooklyn what was your inspiration behind the collection as a whole culture and a mindset and who you are as a person and so we really wanted to reflect that in our um presentation in our show that you know you you don't you don't have to fall into any stereotypes you know you are who you are and fashion especially hip-hop is about expression and owning it and you know bringing it to the world and showing who you are with these you know amazing different garments and you know taking trends and kind of breaking them down and and showing the world you know how you can remix this trend you know hip-hop gets this this kind of stigma that it's just baggy jeans and t-shirts and hoodies and it's not you know we're we're going everywhere we're doing a lot of things we're at the Met Gala and ball gowns and we're in the bo- in the boardrooms and stuff but there's still that little extra edge that you add to your outfit that you know oh, okay yeah that's hip-hop <laughs>
7: What's your favorite fabric or material to work with?
8: I love anything flowy. So, um, silks and um, you know, anything flowy, poly and and rayon, and, you know, chiffon, anything that's like moving and and flowing. Um, I definitely like. And then I love leather. I love the um the the ruggedness of leather but then it's also very soft you know like it, it has just such versatility where you know it's like so soft to touch sometimes and then it can be really hard and then it's an amazing canvas to um, paint on and adorn and now they're doing this amazing technique where you can digit- digit- digitally print on leather and that um, just opens up you know, the world of possibilities. Where can the people find you
7: at on social media?
8: Yes, so um, on Instagram, we're at Hip Hop Closet.
7: Thank you again, Hip Hop Closet, for joining me for this interview. This is Javon Thomas, and you're listening to WNYU 89.1 FM.
0: The rally for NYU adjunct faculty took place last week. Here's the story brought to you by... Last week, despite some ominous-looking storm clouds approaching, NYU students and staff gathered at Washington Square Park. NYU's adjunct faculty union is in the midst of bargaining for a renewed contract with NYU's administration. Their current one is set to expire in a few months, and they kicked off their first day of negotiations with a rally co-organized by NYU's Young Democratic Socialists of America and NYU's contract faculty union. The current contract, instilled in 2016, included compensation, insurance coverage, course assignments, and other terms of employment for adjunct faculty. During the rally, advocates chanted their new demands.
7: Adjuncts at this university make $7,000 for a 3 credit course. That's, like, pretty good for an adjunct wage, but it is not a living wage. Shame!
0: The union is advocating for increased adjunct wages, better health care, and better compensation for their extra work during the pandemic. The renegotiations come after NYU's Graduate Student Organizing Committee reached a landmark agreement with the university last year, which improved protections for student workers against workplace discrimination, higher hourly wages, and stronger benefits. And this new contract comes after adjunct teaching conditions were worsened by the pandemic. Here's what Kay Gabriel, a member of the union representing NYU's adjunct faculty, had to say.
7: It's our first contract since we have returned to in-person instruction. And because today they are talking about COVID, I want to talk about the testimonies from my co-workers, uh, NYU adjuncts, of what happened in March
8: 2020.
7: When all of a sudden adjuncts were sent home... ...to start teaching on platforms they had no training in, without guidance, without
0: instruction. They mentioned that some NYU adjunct professors were forced to teach from their phones when NYU wouldn't supply them laptops.
6: Shame! Shame. Shame.
7: Shame. NYU is the second largest private landowner in New York City, and you can't spare a
6: laptop!
0: As supporters marched up to Union Square, Reddy right Eubanks, a member of the NYU group... Law Students for Economic Justice explained to me because NYU does not treat its unions very well, and we're working to ensure that the the adjunct faculty um, have support from students, other other unions, and other faculty. Um, And we have monthly meetings with various unions as part of a union coalition, so I speak with adjunct faculty as well as most of the other unions on campus very regularly about their organizing, about what they need from
2: NYU, and about what they need from students.
0: Before reaching Union Square, the protesters stopped by the offices of NYU's Human Resources Department, where negotiations were taking place. Bargaining is set to go on well into the summer. And in the meantime... Uh, I just hope that um, the adjunct faculty, particularly while they're bargaining, have a lot of really visible support so that NYU understands that this isn't just about the adjunct faculty, this isn't just about unions, this is about the whole institution supporting this particular group. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you. For The Rundown, this has been Grace Wannabeau. That's going to do it here for us tonight. If you liked what you heard or you want to hear something different, you can email us at news at WNYU.org. I'll be back here next week, same time, same place, and I hope you'll join me. Up next, we have East Village Love Stories, Sorry Not Sorry, Celeb Relationships, NY Who, But Why, Yesterday's Heroes, and Party Passport. Again, I'm Grace Wannabeau, and this has been The Rundown here on WNYU 89.1 FM, New York.